Welcome to the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kinghorn, co-founder and CEO of HBHM. We're a carbon neutral wellness brand and we're focused on the well-being of our customers and the planet. We produce a range of products designed to support a healthy lifestyle. This podcast is for our community. We'll have a range of experts in the health, fitness and wellness space designed to help you all improve many aspects of your life. For listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off our products at hbhm.com by using the code hbhmpod at checkout. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the latest episode of the Healthy Body, Healthy Mind podcast. And on today's show, we have Jamie McBrearty. Jamie is a mindset coach who has over 20 years experience within education, business and sport as a manager, leader and coach. Jamie has been training business leaders, teachers, nurses staff, coaches, volunteers, parents, leadership teams, sports clubs and grassroots through to elite athletes, um, not only on the theory of growth mindset, but implementing a range of tools, techniques and resources. Jamie holds an MBA in sports development and his extensive sports development and educational background creates a unique perspective on his philosophy and coaching style. Um, Along with being a keen runner, Jamie coaches the under-15 squad at Dundee Football Club, whilst also being a husband, father of three and a champion at Hide and Seek. So welcome to the HBHM podcast, Jamie. How are you doing today? Thank you very much. I'm very well, thank you. How's yourself? Yeah, not too bad. And it's good to be doing another one in person um, after doing so many of these on Zoom. It's good to, to get back in the room with one another. Absolutely. Uh, it's always good to do it face to face and actually see you properly rather than just through a screen. So yes. yeah, thanks very much. We're in the uh, we're in Dundee today. Um, not a bad day actually in Dundee for a change. Uh, listen, um, this is the sunniest city in Scotland, I'll have you know. Um, oh, is it? Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, so, no, um, it's a lovely day and uh, it's almost like spring. Um, uh, so, yeah, good, good to see you. Cool. Right, well, before we start delving into some of the topic, topics that we're going to discuss with you today, um, you mentioned you're a keen runner. So, how's that looked for you over the years? Yeah, I suppose I became a keen runner uh, when my football career um, kind of was phasing out. Um, I suppose I've always known the, the the benefits of being fit, and I'll be honest, you know, um, I've had opportunities to play at a decent level um, when I was younger and didn't really push myself. Um, and then when I was playing junior level, um, you know, when I was fit, you know, I, I was decent. When I was wasn't fit, then my performance suffered. Um, okay. So I was always relying on training, playing, training, playing to keep a good level of fitness. And when I wasn't, then I had a huge impact. Um, and I suppose when you, as you come to your end of your playing career, you then start to, the penny drops, you think, if I was just a wee bit fitter, five or, five or seven years ago, you know, maybe I could have just pushed myself and done a little bit better. So um, I've, I've been running, you know, I've been running you know, most of my life anyway, but then I stopped playing. Um, I got the bug of just five, ten Ks, nothing more than that. Yeah. There are a couple of half marathons. Um, I got a bit bored and did a full marathon, uh, <laughs> so trained for that. Um, Which one was that? That was the Dundee Marathon. Oh yeah. Um, that was just before the I think they've changed the route now. So um, a lovely run. Um, I was rather lonely once you get to the halfway point because it must be about fifteen percent continue on. The rest are savvy enough not to go any further. Ah okay. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a slog. The last thirteen miles um, in a head, well ten miles in a headwind. <laughs> 
and then three, the last three miles uphill into Camperdown Park. Right. Um, so cramps in my legs. I didn't, never knew you could get cramps. <laughs> so, but yeah, I just got to, I continue to, to, to run uh, four or five times a week. Right. Um, headphones on, you know, listening to podcasts or material that's helping me with my own kind of yeah. mindset and with my coaching business and, and helping my clients get to, to where they want to win in business and in life. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll obviously come on more to, to discuss some of the various topics that, you know, I want to delve into with you. But I suppose before we get into all that, what got you involved in this sport, this space, you know, sports development, mindset coaching, all the various things you do? I've been doing, actually, recently, um, I've started to really reflect on that. Everything kind of just snowballed and evolved naturally. Um, so when I was at school, to tell you the truth, I wanted to be um, an RAF pilot. Okay. Um, and um, I remember going down to the, to the recruitment office thinking this is it took my time and my best handwriting to fill an application form and gave it to the, the wee manny across the desk in his uniform sat back thinking this is it and he came and just looked at me sorry son you can't join okay and I remember saying if my handwriting is not that bad surely and he says no, no that's you're colour blind ah. um, so due to you being colour blind you, you, you can't join up the forces so I loved I loved planes across at Lucas um, Air Base. I used to go across the, 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 the air shows and just fell in love and thought that, that seems great. What Top Gun? I wanted to be like Tom Cruise, and <laughs> but I had a I had a real affiliation to to, to want to do that, but that never happened. Um, so I went back to school with my tail beneath me, between my legs and thought, right, what do I do now? And just continued my fifth year. Never did so well fifth year, um, and then sixth year I thought I better get my finger out. And I was always been sporty. I've always loved sports and. Took part in all the different clubs at, at school, football, volleyball, representing the country at schools levels and stuff. And there was one day in sixth year, um, I was injured and a supply teacher turned up that I'd never met before in my life. And I was motivating my classmates as they ran around the athletics track, saying, get your finger out, come on, you can go fast. Well, we're doing fitness at the time. But she came across to me and said a, a few words that could literally change the, the course of my life. Okay. And she says... Do you know that you could be a really good sports coach? There wasn't many teachers at the school that said any positive things <laughs> about me, but, and that was one. But I, I ran off to the guidance teacher and said, right, listen, I know what a coach is, but how do you become a coach? And she says, look, look Dundee College, I've got a sports coaching course here. You can maybe apply for that. Now, most of my teachers were saying, look, you've got more potential than that. Why not, why not university? And I, back then, I always played it safe. And I thought, I'll just do that. Um, so I went to Dundee and Angus College. Did sports coaching and sports development, and that, in reflection, that was the start of the journey. Um, it exposed me to different sports, different disciplines, different people. Now, back then, I never fully appreciated the mentors I had back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember old Kenny Cameron, who was a player with both okay. Dundee United and Dundee, um, was one of the lecturers there, and fantastic fantastic coach he actually got me involved at Dundee Football Club and that's how I started back yeah. then with the community programme um, and you know that just his presence was incredible it was Ian Campbell who was one of Jim McLean's coaches back in the 70s as well and you know the advice he gave back then about you know just never stop developing never stop learning uh, and, I, and I fell in love with learning uh, probably without me re- recognising just grabbing qualifications um, just wanted to really build up what I did to, wasn't scared about saying yes to opportunities and um, went to America a couple of times to do coaching and um, was coaching at a, very, a young age with under 18 squads and just loved the whole ethos of helping individuals yeah. become better. 
when I went to university, that then enhanced that. Um, some of the literature I was exposed to, um, you know, some of the famous coaches across in America, John Wooden, um, others, you know, that are really high profile coaches that were talking about not just from a sports coaching perspective, but from a human potential perspective, how we're all, you know, just the same. We've got, you know, bags of potential that can we can reach amazing achievements, amazing levels of success. I remember one one article I read about us being referred to as an acorn, you know, and that acorn having all the potential to grow to to to, to grow into a massive oak tree, yeah. dependent on the environment, dependent on the nutrients, etc. And then that was what that whole human potential. And I remember clear as day thinking, I love this. So after I left university, um, you know, just due to connections, I then became a sports development officer, and I was actually privileged to be able to use sport as a vehicle to help people improve their lives. So my first job was to use sport to increase levels of employability in youths, those who are furthest away from the job market. So yeah. getting qualifications, volunteering opportunities, um, making them job ready. Um, so working with some really, really um, underprivileged young people um, with multiple barriers, um, I just treated them like anybody else and got some really good results from a two and a half year programme. But yeah. at that time was... Um, funded via um, a social inclusion pot of money from Sports Scotland. Okay. The team I was part of was a community outreach sports team. And I was only 22 at the time. So fast forward two and a half years later, when I was 25, my boss, she moved on. And being the person I thought, I can do that. So I became manager of the team back okay. then, which was tough. Um, I went from being one of the team one of the boys, to him now the gaffer mm -hmm. at 25, which was challenging. Um, I remember it clear as day holding my first team meeting. Um, I remember the agenda. I remember how, 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 how I led it. But the point being that it really got me to then think about from a coaching perspective, I loved helping people improve. But then now from a team perspective, I was then the manager, the leader to help the team do what they can do. But from an individual perspective, I took that same philosophy into helping my team to get them to think about where they want to be one, three, five years time, which was incredible and created so many different innovative projects around you know, helping disadvantaged communities that was you know, used across the UK as examples of good practice, getting quite a significant proportion of money, you know, in the six to seven figures to address social inclusion problems or to look at, or sorry, exclusion problems, look at employability, looking at health inequalities, looking at working with disadvantaged families. And just that whole principle at my core was helping individuals to be better. Um, actually, halfway through that, maybe I was 28, my new boss went off on maternity leave. And again, me, because I'll do that. So I basically took over the, the entire section. At the time, it was the biggest sports development section in, in Scotland. Okay. So again, a privilege to be able to lead a, one, a wonderful team of people, about 40 odd full time members of staff uh, and four teams, you know, 100 odd coaches, 250 volunteers plus. And this wee laddie, 14 years earlier, and never got an RAF, you know. How things can change when you really do just 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 step into fear and take things forward. Um, and then fast forward, when you know seven eight years ago, um, actually before ten years ago, I was I was asked to lead another program um, in Dundee on behalf of another national initiative to help address the dropout from sport. So okay. um, there was a, a program called Positive Coaching Scotland, and that was created in partnership with the Winning Scotland Foundation and um, Sport Scotland. Um, in partnership with the Positive Coaching Alliance, which was America, American model. And um, I fell in love with that again. It was about you know, helping 
players at a grassroots level, helping coaches, helping parents, just thinking about culture, behaviour, um, to help fulfil the potential of young people taking part in a healthy, active lifestyle rather yeah. than, than a performance level. And that was when I was introduced to mindset, growth mindset, which was a part of the programme of Professor Carol Dweck's work. Yeah. And we were then lucky enough, to, um, a couple of years later in 2014, uh, Professor Dweck came to Dundee uh, to deliver a keynote speech that covered a lot of her robust evidence and research on what mindset does to learners, adults, children, um, and the impact it had. And on the back of that, um, the local authority decided to embark on a journey um, around growth mindset, and I was asked if I would lead a two-year pilot project on how to develop a growth mindset culture in our education, uh, our communities, in sport and business, um, given a free rein to go and just raise awareness and, and test it. Yeah. Which I did, um, and then due to the success of that, uh, which I'm, I'm still currently supporting the city to do, um, people I knew from sport, from business work, saying, you wouldn't mind coming to, to speak to my team or yeah. to, to do a little workshop for us or can you be a keynote speaker at the weekend uh, at one of our conferences? And that was a game changer when a good pal of mine who was working with um, one of the governing bodies said, could you come along and do a keynote speech on day two um, at our Change for the Future conference? I went, eh, no problem. Who, uh, just matter of fact, who's, who's, who's keynote on day one? A Carthen Granger. I'm like, oh, okay. So day when you've got the most decorated Olympian in UK yesterday and you've got a wee boy from the Hilton and Dundee yeah. on day two. Magnificent. And that was when Scottish Rowan, they said, look, um, in the evenings and weekends, can you come and maybe come up to Aberdeen, Inverness, down to Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dundee, Fife, uh, and just help us changing the culture within clubs um, at a performance level within our coaching system. Mm-hmm. And uh, that continued. I had mates who were in other Big, big multinational organisations want to do, you know, talks and speeches, and I started the business from that. Just, yeah. and then that's where I'm still doing a bit of that just now. You know, it's just helping people who 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 have approached me to ask for help, um, and the whole coaching aspect of mindset as well. I fell in love with as well. So, I was reading just to um, the work of Bob Proctor. Okay. Um, around about that was about when my, my youngest daughter was actually born. I was doing a, another little business just to just to make a little bit of additional money. Um, but due to the, the, the course of the business, um, it had a lot of personal development attached to that. And I fell in love with that work as well. And again, that was all about human performance, human success, human potential. Um, Bob Proctor probably being the last living legend of you know, self-help in yeah. the personal development movement. And back then, I remember thinking, I want to work with you someday. I want to be part of what you do because you're globally renowned. You've got a magnificent ethos, philosophy, He's still a, a product of you no know, human potential. He's now eighty-seven, still got goals, mm-hmm. still reaching higher, still developing things, and just an incredibly humble man at the same time. So, um, fast forward a couple of years, not only the mindset work, you know, across education, sport, and business, I'm, I'm now doing it from a, from a coaching perspective as well, yeah. um, helping individuals and organisations via um, a wonderful program called Thinking Into Results that takes people through a program. Uh, for six months, but I take them through for twelve months to take them from where they are to, to wherever they want to go. Yeah, nice one. There's, there's lots of things in there that I'll, I'll pick out and chat about. But one thing you said early in there was about the dropout from sport and kids. And I saw something in the press the other day that at the age of fourteen, there's a massive percentage of kids just come away from sport. So what kind of things were you doing to try and kind of keep them engaged and and re-engage within sports at that time? It was ra- raising awareness with 
key stakeholders of the changes that children face at that age. Okay. You know, there's 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 decisions to make. Um, even now when I'm, I'm doing soul working with Dundee, when they get to that 14 to 15 year, years of age, you know, they, they've committed a good part of their life. They've been enthusiastic. They've been committed. They've been persistent. It's been their life, you know, in terms of turning up and playing, whatever sport that may be. And, and I include swimming with that. I include gymnastics with that. Some face burnout mm-hmm. because it has been that intense. And then as they go through the changes, you know, emotionally, um, mentally, physically, they, they start to see their mates not being as intense with what they're doing. They're, yeah. they're, 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 they're making their own choices. Um, some are still having to go up at half past five to swim in the morning with their club or they've got to go to training at night or they're travelling the length and breadth of the country the weekend for whatever sport they're taking part in. But even at a grassroots level, um, that's still happening as well. You've got the the culture in the country as well about what young people do at the weekends now. Um, and I remember back there as well, 14, 15, 16, your, your mates were having a beer at the weekend, you were going to the football, you were having a bit of fun, so you were either turning up and still going to play your sport um, with the effects of the weekend, yeah. um, and you kind of just lose, lost the, the appetite for that. Um, there's a lot of, these days, you know, there's not a lot of support uh, for young people maybe coming from um, less privileged backgrounds where there's, no, there's maybe not as much parental support. Um, some sports in the country have shifted from being a working class sport to you need a bit of money to mm-hmm. to keep up with the Joneses. So football that used to be accessible to to to, the, to everybody, and you know you've now got kids who are demanding a pair of football, but one or two hundred pounds yeah. play. You've yeah. you've got um to buy whatever equipment as you need. You've got you know subs for the the clubs that's it costs. So there's some barriers there. Um, so I suppose it was really looking at not just the young person's attitudes towards sport, but actually with the infrastructure behind that as well, which we're still far, still f- far away from. Yeah. And there's some, still some sports across the country that, that certain young people will not have access to. Active schools have been doing a magnificent job across the country as of a number of different sports development um, sections as well. So there's a number of great examples of progress, but they're a cultural thing. Um, there's certainly something around um, how do we not just maintain that level within club sport, it's supporting clubs, so there's a, yeah. you know there's a lot of there's an economic um, challenge. There's of course uh, it's been heightened, but heightened by COVID as well. Absolutely, you know? and there's a, there's, there's an aspect as well that you know, we're volunteering. A lot of people volunteer at clubs, and if you've got young people coming with a particular you know attitude towards sport, that volunteers are saying like I'm not here, I'm not here to deal with you know particular challenge behaviour. There's been a big challenge behind that as well. So there's 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 a multiple layers of why young people would drop out of sport, yeah. um, and then the the whole female in sport is a different topic altogether yeah. but that's you know, seen a huge increase which is magnificent to see uh, in the country especially around football and um, the ever increasing members across clubs um, the the pathway that the, the girls have gotten out towards yeah. playing football and in other sports as well um, so although there's issues and um, there's also some really good yeah, bits of progress but um, by the, the kind of scarce resources we've got as a country you know, it's, it's still always going to be a challenge yeah. especially culturally as well due to other behaviours that we yeah. like to take part in. Yeah, well, as long as there's you know people like you that are working on it, then you know it'll it'll continue to improve. So, you know, one of the one of the things I know that you you talk about a lot, and I've heard you speak about it in the past, is that fixed versus growth mindset. So, you just want to explain a bit about that for our listeners. Absolutely. So, this is um, the work of uh, Professor Carol Dweck. So, I would urge anybody if this resonates that do 
no, do a search for her work. It is world renowned, um, and she's in the world of academia, held as in the, as legendary status um, due to the amount of time she's been cited in journal articles across the world. Um, but to put it um, plainly, your mindset is a set of beliefs uh, that affect how you think, feel, and behave every single day of your life without you even recognizing it. And from her, um, you know plethora of research that spans over three decades um, she concludes that we've got two mindsets a fixed mindset or a growth mindset in regards to your ability or other people's ability to change and and, and reflects a lot around um, our understanding of intelligence um, some people think intelligence is report cards uh, yeah. intelligence is IQ or emotional intelligence but essentially the, the actual definition in Wikipedia of intelligence is the ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skills. And that could be in anything. It could be in music, it could be in art, it could be in science, it could be whatever. But taking that, that the whole ethos and, and attitude towards intelligence, a fixed mindset is a belief that you cannot change. That your abilities, your talents, your intelligence fixed. Uh, you believe that people are just born with the natural competencies of Singing, dancing, sport, science, maths is a very common emotive subject. With that attitude, um, the research um, highlights that you're more likely with a fixed mindset to give up after after one instance of failure or setback yeah. or not succeeding. And the attitude towards application, you know, those with a fixed mindset will, will, will try less, will, will apply less effort um, when things get tough. And they won't try new things. Um, one, because I think what's the point, I'll not change anyway. But two, the fear, there's a real, mm. real fear of failure um, that's associated with a fixed mindset. The fear of, if I don't succeed, what will people think about me? Actually, um, in our culture, if I do succeed, yeah. what will people think about me? Mm-hmm. You know, we've all got close friends, family, loved ones when we, if I succeed and don't mean it but it's like oh check you Um, so there's a real fear of celebrating success as well so this is something that um, I go deeper in um, in my coaching program but essentially that's what how she concludes a fixed mindset and the opposite of that a growth mindset is a belief that your most basic abilities your talents your intelligence are malleable qualities that have got the potential to improve Um, now what we're not saying here that everybody's going to be the best of the best of the best if they apply a growth mindset it's simply an ideology that you can create new personal bests on a regular basis yeah. you can improve you can get better so with that set of beliefs people view life through a different lens um, especially when it's to learning so if you have been faced with challenge or a setback or even failure mistakes once the the emotion settled down because we're not saying with a growth mindset you still don't get emotionally involved in, in the outcome you then look at things more pragmatically and say, actually, there's learning here. There's, there's an opportunity to grow here. Yeah. And what that, hap- what that results in is um, higher levels of task persistence, higher levels of just, we're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on going. We're going to apply more effort. Um, and this is, you know, this, this is, apply, this increases grit, increases the, the, the commitment to doing things. And essentially what, what people do is they try alternative ways of, of achieving success so you've got that old cliche of 
first time you don't succeed, you try, you try, you try again. But it's also having the courage to try things in a different way. I'm sure there was a Mr. Einstein that said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So it was it's having the courage to do things differently. Um, I'm sure we've all been in settings where people say, oh, I've tried that before, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's being able to say, well, okay, well, well, let's do something different then and let's do let's stick my head above the parapet and um, the growth mindset allows people to be um, curious, to yeah. explore, to research um, and to experiment with the purpose of looking to improve. Yeah, or on the other side of that, you've got, oh, we've always done it this way. So That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Nice yeah. one, nice one. And so let's, in regards to sport, then, what, what, what's a growth mindset in sport? How do you work with a growth mind, mindset, specifically when it comes to sport? Let's try to use the same principles. Actually, sport or whatever sector it is, it's um, articulating this into language that people get. Mm-hmm. So before you explore the whole world of sport, it's taking the whole culture within our country. You know what I've been doing for the past eight years or so is to try to uncheese the cheesiness of this because um, some of the stuff doesn't sit on the palates of our <laughs> compatriots um, that easily. So I've, I've tried to scotify um, a lot of the material. Uh, I've tried to dundee some of the material as well. So it's uh, it's more palatable, palatable and understandable for, for, for young people and, and, and adults, adults alike. But in sport, it's exactly the same. It's taking a player, athlete, coach's belief system and say, what do you actually think about the potential of a of a player? of a club, of an athlete, um, and starting there <clears throat> and getting them to really reflect on, well, if we're all agreeing that, yep, we understand that mistakes are important, I learn, we understand that people can improve, but on, we get the theory, we get it, but when you're in a highly competitive, passionate, performance-focused environment, what happens to the theory? As the focus then quickly shift to well, who's got the natural talent, mm. who can do things with with well, that looks effortless. Now, that's a kind of snapshot in time we get that people can demonstrate high levels of competency and skills or tactical knowledge, whatever it may be. But is that a real good predictor of future success? You know, I do a lot of work on youth development, and you all have ones who excel quicker than others yeah. due to experience maybe due to some genetics um, due to just a, someone's personality it could be to the physical competencies of, of an individual but as young people start to get older we get to that 13, 14, 15 age group then something else starts to become more apparent and that's something that I truly believe that as a country we're getting better but we're still a little bit behind mm. um, in regards to the to the mental side of sport of games and I don't just mean that from a player stroke athlete level we've still got a lot of very experienced coaches who are quite rightly really good at what they do but this mindset really fluffy woo woo stuff is for some a bit uncomfortable to Mm -hmm. be talking about but when we look at the mental performance how it links to physical performance we need to really start being brave as a nation, having a conversation about this and what this actually means. Mm-hmm. And if it means understanding growth mindset to begin with, then that's a great start. Reflecting on your own career, your own coaching philosophy, your own way of relationships, you know, how 
young people learn these days is different from what we did 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. So are we changing the system? Are we changing approaches? Are we, you know, I remember from, again, going back to the university days, one quote coming from a book, The Coaching Process with John Lyle, that, that coaching has been the master of instantaneous response. Now, are we being masters of instantaneous response with the ever-changing landscape of children, the way they develop, what they're faced with, the challenges, you know, the opportunities we've got with new technology, you know, how comfortable are coaches and clubs and governing bodies to move at the same pace as the world yeah. that's going to help our young people to become the best versions of them. And some countries have got some great examples for that. We've got great examples here, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we're not making good progress. But in sport, the whole mindset mental world is still scary. Yeah. It's still uncomfortable for some. I think, uh, you know, an example of that is, you know, I've not long come back from the US, back in, you know, in America. They do seem to have a different mindset over there. In ge- I'm generalising here. They, they seem to naturally have more of a growth mindset than we do over here. So do you think people can change from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset? Or do you believe that they are fixed? No, I believe everybody can change. Yeah, everybody yeah. has changed. Yeah. Um, you know, if you take the current, the past two years, you no, know, sometimes we're forced to change, mm-hmm. and that's how we build up resilience. Sometimes it's through choice, sometimes it's through um, challenge, it's through disruption, it's through change, it's through a pandemic that we've got to. But what it always reminds us is, a, as a human race, that we have got the potential to change significantly, yeah. and build up core um, competencies, you know, and deal with things differently. And that's when you when you come down to a performance level, you're talking about, you know, when you talk about sport, you talk about Scotland, you think about the national scene, you think about national teams, you look at the rugby team who have had significant improvements over the past yeah. decade. You look at the, the the Scottish team and what's happening there, and a significant improvement in terms of maybe we're starting to see the the real focus on the system that was placed in about, you know, six, seven, eight years ago by the performance schools, um, having more time to, to improve technical ability that we're having more um, players moving down south. I'm not saying a different culture from a social perspective, but actually the, the, the demands that are placed on performance down there is more about the physical aspect of mm-hmm. that. So now we're getting players that we've had for decades before that, you know, go back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, there's, you know, that we had a lot of world-class players back then who yeah. went down, who were exposed to high levels and high demands. We're starting to see that again. Um but it's, there's still that mental side of the game. And the the big thing is that we're watching people change. But I don't think we're reflecting on why they're changing and how do we replicate that more on a regular basis. Are we just leaving it by luck or chance? Or we're still using that, oh, they're naturally going to happen that way. Well, things don't happen by chance. Um, and how brave can we be to actually, through a telescope, through a magnifying glass, say, well, let's really delve in um, I love the book by Matthew Said, Black Box Thinking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking at from a finest detail. Why is it now? Why are we starting to improve? Yeah. And how do we scale that? Not just in football, but how do we scale that across all sports? You know, every sport across the country is having significant dropout rates. I know locally there's swim clubs that are compete at the highest level. And we get to 14, 15, 16, and the boys and girls go, chaps, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, so what's happening, there's something mentally that they're fatigued, there's something about the system, there's something about that support, that wraparound support. I've had a number of players who 
I've got the potential to go on and really kick on and create a career. And they're going, you know what, I just want to go play, play with my mates. Yeah. And for my coach, they're going, I should have identified that earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were signs of maybe not being mentally, just being able to cope with the demands that are being placed on them. And we need to be better at, at an earlier age, really having that support where young people f- can feel safe enough to speak up when they're feeling uncomfortable a lot earlier than crisis point. Parents, um, you know, it's not a sign on, on their level of being a parent, being able to ask for help yeah. or for t- t- to raise concerns. <clears throat> and even coaches, to be able to talk this part of the game that's can have a significant impact on, on a young person's life. And there's so much we can speak about in terms of that mental part of the game because at the highest level as well, it's having a significant impact on on top professionals as well. Not just when they're playing the sport, but more importantly, when they, when they exit the sport and the yeah. support systems in place once they've had the life that they've built up to their early 30s that in a, in a, in a, in a millisecond that's gone. Yeah. And they're a void. And what's that? So there's so much here around, can people change? Absolutely. Can us as a, as, a, as a culture and as a society and as a system change? We need to really look at that because we are changing, but can can we really articulate why we're changing? And that's something I think we can do a lot better. Yeah, it is, it's really prevalent as well. That you know that example there about you know when football, rugby, hockey, whatever players retire from their sport, they're at a relatively young age. You know they are well, they are young in the grand scheme of things, and they've built up this really successful career in their sport, and then all of a sudden. It's gone, like, and I, I, I do see. I don't think it is much, or doesn't appear to be much support for these types of players when they, they do finish. And what do they go and do next? It must be a real sort of battle for them. Absolutely, it's like any profession. You know, if you take teachers, teachers go to school, then they go to uni, then they go back to school. Yeah, and if you see a teacher by the way in your early thirties, that's you done. And what, what would they do for the rest of their life? Yeah. Some people. You know, just got on. I've got plans to go beyond that, but the same in um, in performance and in, in academy football or in, in youth sport. Um, there is absolutely um, you you would look into this. There's data to suggest that sport can leave raise levels of, of resilience. It can expose you to being disciplined, and it can expose you to challenge and how you deal and prob- solve problems in high high stake environments that can help young people move on other you know if, if, if the sport is not plan a then plan b make the, the, the start their own business or the they become a leader in their own field but due to the, the, the what they've been exposed to at a, at a young age and the same when young men and females went through a performance cycle in, in late 20s early 30s they then go on to other careers because they use that experience to you know dovetail into mm-hmm. leadership or start a new business or you know being in in, on the media or something like that but there's still a significant proportion that, that don't follow that path and there's yeah there, there's there's a, there's a a big hole there yeah. a, a gaping hole yeah definitely definitely and you know you obviously you've kind of touched on you know the different different groups of people you know you athletes you know teams businesses so you know give us a, a general idea of the different types of people you've worked with you don't have to go to a specific if you don't want to but just the, the different people out there that you've helped with a mindset an improvement in mindset in sport across the board <clears throat> sport or across the board um yeah well across the board it's it's there's so many um and that's why i love doing what i do because every week every day is different yeah and it's taken a bit of time for myself you know as anybody can reflect on when you're going through a journey yourself and you're 
you know, change is inevitable when, well, you know, whatever happening that you're in new environments you're working with different individuals or different organisations, different teams. So although I'm you know, speaking about similar material around mindset, around performance, around culture, around leadership, when you're going into different places, it's, it's with a new set of people. And that's what I really thrive on. It's um, thriving on knowing that every person, we're all exactly the same. We all came into this world exactly the same and we all, all leave this world exactly the same. Um, and it's what we do with that time in between that. Yeah. And that's where now, um, due to, and again, reflecting back on my 25 years of experience through sport and working in education and business, that what a privilege it is to, to watch individuals grow, to watch organisations grow, and, and the penny now dropping, that says, oh, but we're, you know, we're all the same. <laughs> now, we've all got that potential to, to do more. We've all got that um, opportunity to, to, to take our life wherever we want to take it. And the limitations come from, one, do we believe we can do better? Mm-hmm. Um, what have we, what, what, what is the environment that we've been exposed to? What, what has that done? Um, I've seen a quote recently that somebody argues that the environment is, is more important than a hereditary. Um, yeah. Jim Rohn back in the day said that we are the average of the five people we spend most time with. So choose wisely. Yeah. But we do, you know, we mimic and we pick up the beliefs and norms from, from what we're surrounded by. So working in the oil and gas sector, you know, who am I to say how to improve your health and safety processes in yeah. terms of that? But I'm helping, <laughs> helping around that human performance element, that psychological safety element, that learner mindset element. And I'm going into a web development companies looking at how we can you know, help their staff be more comfortable when they're speaking to clients because there's a huge gap just now in young people coming yeah. out education with a lack of social skills to be able to keep eye contact with a real human being and hold yeah. a conversation that's having significant issues around anxiety and mental health issues um working in the um in the construction industry um from a you know a very male dominated dominated um environment to say using words like mindset yeah. and performance and trying to articulate this to say, you know, it's how it's how you give your best level of service to every client you come across with, every person you come across with, how you deal with your staff, how do you get the best out of your staff? Um and then going back into sport again, you know, being able to work with and this is again scary, is working with some really high profiled coaches and former players and players and I'm going Imposter syndrome kicks right in there, and you're going, yeah. "Wait a minute, here, who, yeah. who am I to be speaking to? You've, you've managed the national side. You've, you've, you've played at the highest level. You've won Champions League. You've been, and then being able to say, by the way, I think I've got information I can help. Yeah. Um. So that's for me is a challenge, a continuous challenge, but it's one that I absolutely love because I'm learning more about myself every single day, yeah. every single week, every single month. I'm learning more about people who you would. P- assume have got it all sorted it's a common misconception that isn't it you know we as a society look at people and think oh they've achieved x they've got you know everything worked out they know what they're doing but the reality is a is very different um nobody's i don't get anyone you know jeff bezos elon musk all these people that have been wildly successful i'm sure they would even admit they don't have it all figured out either it's continual challenge isn't it but that's what I respect, um, especially being in, 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 in the sports sector, football with coaches, or the, the the coaching badges that have been on. Um, you know, you've got tutors there. 
purely due through the course that have been really high profile. Steve Keen, um, Brian Rice, John Hughes, um, Jim Fleeton, um, other coaches coming with Dick Campbell, um, his, his other brother um, as well. Um, top, top managers coming in, you know, working closely uh, alongside Gordon Strachan just now at Dundee and Stephen Wright and other really top coaches and ex-players in the game. It's just, a, you know, the ethos behind individuals, a lifelong learning is something we should all, and we're all here to learn off one another. Yeah. And we're all here to understand that we're not the finished article. And again, you know, the fast moving pace of the development of sport or development of players, development of individuals, there's, there's methods, there's tools, there's theory, there's ideologies, there's methods to really unlock the potential in, in, in anybody. Yeah. As coaches, um, as leaders, as managers, as players, uh, and that's what I love. And it's and it's getting to a point now. And going back to your point in America, you know, if you're talking about um, coaching from a sports perspective, anywhere in the world, that's a given. Yeah, you've got a coach to help you perform better. When it comes to life, you know, America, you get, you're, it's, it's viewed as not normal if you don't have a, a coach yeah. or a mentor or a shrink. Yeah. Um, across here, you're talking about having a coach. You're like. What do you mean? Yeah, it's not the matter with me. I don't need a coach. Yeah. Um, so it's, there's, 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 something's changing. I think people in business, um, people in sport, people in the certain walks of life are saying, like, in order for me to, to move on, I need accountability. Uh, I don't know at all. I need somebody to push me. I need, I need more advice. I need, I need, I need that, that material to study or to, to empower me to unlock that potential. And that's why, that's why I love being in the space I'm in because it's, it's different every week. Yeah, and talking about that there as well, about coaches, um. Angela, my wife, who you know as well, last night we were looking up Rafa Nadal because he's just obviously won his 21st Grand Slam and the team that he's got in place. And there's there's literally a coach for everything. You know, he's got every single aspect of his life is there's somebody there to support him and look at what he's achieved. So, yeah, the the the, the role that coaches have got to play in a successful individual is absolutely massive and you know I'm sure he would admit himself he wouldn't be able to do it without those guys either absolutely it's uh, huge and that's how I love going into clubs now um, whether it be karate hockey um, football whatever sport it might be that there's now an open door to really think about one yep they're there to improve in that given activity or sport but actually the transferable skills that any club or sport is um, you know, giving young people or older um, participants or members, you know, real life-changing skills that can help them deal with life, the the, the challenges that life that is thrown to them. Um, we do need that additional help. We do need that expertise. We do need somebody coming in to give a, a, a helicopter view of how to be better. And, and, and organisations that are open to that, uh, you know, will will move forward a lot quicker than those who. Maybe close their doors. Yeah, and are scared of change. Yeah, and you know, I suppose, sort of, you know, linked to that about you know businesses that are wanting to progress or athletes or whoever that we're generally you know high powered and you know people were go 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 all the time. Um, how important is it from a recovery perspective, from a mental aspect? I know you've you know talked about that in the past. You know, how important is it for us to take recovery time for our mental? health as well as our physical health I think I think anybody knows that you know in terms of if you take the physical 
aspect of any anything you do. It doesn't need to be sport. It could be anything. You you use that same muscle group. You do the same thing. That repetition. You get fatigued. Yeah. So you need to rest to to recovery to to repair to replenish from a physical aspect. You know, from a from a physiological muscular um, kind of skeletal perspective that you need to have that rest. But from a mental perspective, that's exactly the same. So we all know again when we think back, you have a good night's rest, or you you get away from a, for a weekend spend some time with the family and you come away from the activity that you've totally embroiled in that you come back to it with a with a new zest when doing that so there's that whole that that twin cycle of performance that the need to have comparably you know equal percentages of rest and recovery versus work um, and we get that we know that from you know in personal trainers or anybody who helps you get in decent neck or shape will tell you you need to rest. Yeah. You, know, you need to have that recovery or you're going to be more prone to injury or substandard performance. But from a mental perspective, this is again where the, the science that's coming out, not only about rest, but the stress and the link between chronic stress and the physical, biological, is now becoming more profound. We now understand that stress, a good level of stress can help us yeah. um, in terms of perform. Um, it can help us you know, to tune in. I like that. Um, sometimes use that as an excuse for like to work under pressure, uh, <laughs> i.e. procrastination. But there's something about that chronic stress from a biological level is speeding up the aging process in our bodies. Yeah. It's causing high levels of anxiety, which at a you know, at a cellular level there's there's real, real impact here. So <clears throat> again, how how accepted it is these days if you walked into the local boozer and said, by the way, I'm Oh, Jim, you're late. Oh, sorry, I've just been at my mindfulness class. <laughs> you know, how would that? Because mindfulness, meditation, being calm, is having a significant impact on not just mental health, but, but physical health at the same time. And it's something we need to really speak about and raise that yeah. stress is, is, is becoming one of the biggest killers um, because of the your cells being more um, susceptible to, to abnormalities that bring on yeah. big diseases so there's something there around that we do need to be more attuned to not just from a sport perspective but from a life perspective recovery mentally we need to fit that in somewhere we need to, we need to schedule that in yeah. um, the way we schedule in breakfast the way we schedule in lunch the way we schedule in doing that exercise we need to take that break and that time away from from what causes that stress. Yeah. And what sort of things are you recommending to people to do to help that along? It's interesting. There's something that I've been in a The majority of stuff's been online I've been doing for um, for staff, for colleagues, for, for departments within local authorities, for organisations around how do you take control of the day instead of the day control on you. So when this whole episode of, of, of COVID first came on and people had to work from home, some cope better than others. Yeah. Um, some people like the face-to-face, the 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 the, the, the coffee, uh, sorry, the, the water cooler chat, the coffee yeah. staff room chat, and that that was just taken away all of a sudden. So, without having the feeling of being chained to your laptop in case Big Brother's watching you, when you go for the toilet in your own home, is you need to schedule work-life balance. A lot of people were saying to me they were reconnecting back with nature because they were getting out for a walk. There was actually some busy individuals I knew that were honestly saying, I've actually realised I've got a garden. Because <laughs> they've been that busy of just getting up, getting to work, being busy and coming home and just switching off. 
So it's it's made people reconnect with actually slowing down is a good thing. Mm. So advice has been about scheduling these walks and scheduling that time away from work. You no, know, using a time block plan where you have gaps in the day. There's nothing in there, so you, listen. Something inevitably always pops up. So having gaps in the day allows you to be more adaptable. Having a plan for a week where you can visually see that gives you the permission to say no because we're all very good at saying yeah I'll do that yeah, no problem yeah, yeah. but having the permission to say no means that actually I'm going to say no to you right now but I'm going to look at my very well organised time block plan and I'm going to tell you exactly when I can commit to supporting you one you feel good for not saying no and the other person feels good because you've acknowledged them yeah. but that planning aspect well that takes a lot of pressure off individuals rather than just being caught in the rat race yeah. on that hamster wheel um, and really having that self-care, which is about self-respect, that self-love, that self-forgiveness, but all links back to that thing of being calm and in control that has a significant impact on somebody's mental well-being. Yeah, awesome. And I know, kind of linked to that as well, you've you've spoken a lot about replacing bad habits with good habits, and you do a little a bit of work with that as well. So how does that look? <laughs> it looks... Different for depending on whether an individual really wants to change that bad habit. You know, if you know a lot of the research will tell you, if you when you stop something, you need to replace that with something else. Yeah. And if you want to stop a negative habit, you need to replace that with a good habit, or another negative habit creeps in. So, for i.e., that's it. I'm stopping drinking the wine, <laughs> and you don't replace it with something good, then you start drinking the beer. Yeah. Um, so it's looking at really making a committed decision about this is what I'm going to do. Most people, again, take this time of the year, we've got the New Year's resolution, and what does the percentage say about those who fulfil those resolutions? Not very high. Yeah. Because people need to really understand that you can't change anything, any more than one, maybe two, big habits at a time. Or you become overwhelmed, or you don't make progress, and you get you get deflated because you don't see them making any progress. Whether it's 30 days to start a new habit or 61 on it, it can take us that amount of time to, to start a new habit, absolutely. But to make it permanent, you've got to keep on doing it until it becomes automatic. Mm. You recondition your subconscious mind there. You're not thinking about doing these things. It just becomes time and time and time again. And most people say, I can't do that. But do it every year, twice. Mm-hmm. When the clocks go back and when the clocks go forward, yeah. we adapt without questioning anything and we just go on with it. But you ask somebody to get up an hour earlier to do a bit of exercise at six o'clock or five o'clock in the morning, I say, not a chance <laughs> because of the concept of I need sleep yeah. or what's the point. So there's a lot of challenges around and a lot of the work I do with my coaching programme is about how we change those paradigms, which mm-hmm. are a multitude of habits that are buried away within the deepest recess of your subconscious mind. 95 to 98% of your behaviours are automatic that come from the subconscious mind and only 2-4% are, are, are conscious so if we really want to make sustainable changes it's not just about changing behaviours it's getting to the root cause and that's about you your self-image your self-worth the, who you really believe you are so um, don't have time to go deep into that just now but if you want to do it properly then you need to understand you mm-hmm. a lot better and there's simple tools to do that and it's focused on one or two things at a time and never stopping until it becomes automatic Okay, good good tips that and listeners will take a lot of values from that, I'm sure. Um, 
one of the things I, I noticed you've, you've spoke about in the past as well is mental recipe. Your mental recipe. Do you want to just explain a bit more about what that is? Yeah, so regardless of what walk of life you, you come from or what you see, mental health is something that is more prevalent than ever now. And there is a stigma attached to it. When you talk about mental health, you're, you're, you, you, you straight away think about people in crisis. But the truth of the matter is that we've all got mental health. We've all got physical health. And it's more, um, it's easier to speak about how to improve physical health, i.e. in terms of exercise, eating, drinking the right things, which in turn could have a, an impact on your, on your mental well-being. But when you start talking about the mental health part, you know, most people say, well, I'm fine. You know, I'm all right. But in order to maintain that I'm fine, or even to improve that, and many people do not know that would like to gain their mojo back, or I'm just not that motivated, or there's a process to go through. So a mental recipe is understanding like making a cake. What are the ingredients you need to have a good level of mental health and well-being? <clears throat> and one of those ingredients is having goals. And the right type of goals, goals that excite you, goals that scare you at the same time, something that pulls you out of your bed in the morning, having that desire, that's what I really want, really want to visualise what your life would be like if you had and achieved those goals. And this is something that, you know, again, you would focus on every single day. So it's, you know, if you don't have goals, then why would you get up earlier? Why would you not eat that piece of cake? Why would you not have that additional one or two glasses of wine yeah. four or five times a week? You need to be working towards a goal. And a goal is not to get, a goal is to grow. And a lot of people are scared of goals because what if I don't achieve? It means I'm a failure. Yeah. So there's a big thing about what kind of goal. So I do a lot of work with my clients around that. The other thing is about you're actually what you do from a physical activity perspective. You know, I would urge everybody, if you want to be on this planet, for as long as you want to be, then you need to do some form of moderate exercise. Um, I'm currently reading a book that was referred to to um, a good friend called Icky Guy. Okay, I haven't um, heard of that one. So Icky Guy is the Japanese word for purpose. Okay, so there's a book called Icky Guy, and it talks about how in one particular place in Japan, <coughs> excuse me, there is um, a place in Okinawa where they've got per head per capita the the, the the highest percentage of people who live into their hundreds. Okay, and they attribute that to one, having a stress-free life. Two, that they have got continuous, moderate levels of exercise, i.e. gardening and harvesting, etc. The word retire does not exist in the vocabulary. Mm. It's a Western word. So for those that decide that's me, I'm now stopping slowing down. I think the science is now saying if you decide to slow down, then your body will slow down. Yeah. And it will speed up the aging process. Whereas if you continue to go forward and you continue to have goals, you continue to exercise, you continue to be mobile. And more importantly, another mental aspect is you are 100% confident that what you are eating and drinking is having a positive impact on your yeah. physiological and biological makeup. And that's something that, due to the pace we live our lives now, we're not educated enough to really understand what particular foods are doing us from a cellular level. So plant-based diets and particular foods um, are allowing 
people to live a little bit longer. Um, <clears throat> so that along with the mindfulness or meditation, where we're taking that time away from devices. You know, I was speaking to a university class yesterday and we're having a laugh about, you know, can we just do one thing at a time now? No, no. Or you can't just do your essay because you've got your mobile phone on, you've got yeah. the music on, you've got your emails opened. That's how we live our life these days. We're yeah. multitasking, but we are not getting stuff done because we can't focus. Yeah. There's a lack of focus. So being able to have that time with no devices and just be with you and your thoughts, do not once a day can have a significant impact on, on, on how you take control of situations, how you take control in stressful environments. <clears throat> Um, and the last thing is is spending time with people that you love. Yeah, committing that time. How many times do you dwell on? You know, I wish I wasn't as busy because we could have done that at the weekend, mm. or we could have went to that particular event, or we could have went to the picture, or we could have done this. We need to schedule. It goes back to that time block. You need to schedule these things. And what is important to you? Uh, and I had to make a significant changes to what I was doing to to make sure I had a fifty fifty split in terms of having that time with family that mm-hmm. when you look at that you go my god that's a, that's an 80 20 split and i need to make changes here and sometimes it's, it's making radical decisions on what is most important to you yeah and we've all got the same amount of time we can't manage time but we can manage the activities that apply to that time so once you get that then you feel a lot better for it yeah yeah awesome no that's awesome and uh to, on the goal there, I saw I, I, I like one of your quotes that uh, a goal without a plan is a wish. So I take it a lot of the work you do around goals is yes, yeah, setting those goals that you said scare you and excite you, but also right, okay, break it down. How we're we going to achieve that goal? Absolutely. Um, there's three phases very quickly. One purpose. You need to be doing something you love. Yeah, that's what a purpose is. Um, and from the purpose, you then get a vision. So your vision is where you want to go. It could be destinations in the world. It could be what you're doing with family and friends. It could be something to do with your business. It could be a level of income. But there's a vision about what you want to go and achieve. And your goals are a bite-sized chunk out of that vision. Um, so the work in which I do, we talk about three types of goals. <coughs> A-type goals, B-type goals, C-type goals. An A-type goal is a goal that you've already done. There's no growth attached to that. Okay. Yeah, I've bought a new car, I'm going to buy a new car. No growth attached, you've done it before. Yeah. It doesn't excite you, it's boring. B-type goals, you know by doing X, Y and Z, you're guaranteed to achieve that. Yeah, so you know by going to driving lessons, theory tests, a driving test, doing them enough times, you'll get your licence. Yeah. It's good to achieve for that, but is there real growth attached to that? No, you're almost, if you do it time and time again, you'll get there. The C-type goals is goals that I work with my clients, are the goals that are way beyond what you're currently able to do. The illogical, the dreams, the fantasies. Things that excite you. Things that you'd really want to do. If you were given a magic wand, you were guaranteed that, what would you want? Mm-hmm. And the scary at the same time. And these are the goals that we have not been conditioned to think about. You think back at school, hey you, pay attention, stop daydreaming. <laughs> yeah, so we've, we've, we've limited our mental faculties in terms of our imagination, our creativity. Um, Sir Ken Robertson, and the late Sir Ken Robertson, talked about how systems are really... Um, limiting and inhibiting the creativity of children that move into adult life so I really help people to say well what do you want this is the only, this is no dress rehearsal here there's only one chance it's like, what do you want to do and sometimes that's scary because it's not normal 
we're being conditioned to think about smart goals, achievable, realistic, but we're playing at a level that's way below our true potential. Okay. Beyond that is where it's scary. You know, well, I'm not guaranteed success, and what if I don't succeed? So people don't like failing. So goals scare them. But we really think we need to start defining what what is success. Is success just achievement, accomplishment? Um, Errol Nightingale from um, the self-help movement back in the 1950s, he, he defined success as the progressive realisation of a worthy ideal, i.e. you're moving forward. Yeah. So once you get to a particular goal, there's still another level. We've all been climbing those hills, mountains, and we think, there's a top, yes, you get to go, oh my God, there's more to go. <laughs> um, that's what our goals are. So there's always something beyond that level you can, you can, you can achieve. And that's where personal best come from. You, you, know, if you just focus on new personal bests on a regular basis with a vision of where you want to go, living your purpose, living why you're doing this, um, living this life, then you will fulfill what you want to fulfill. Yeah. And any, any, you want to share any of your C-type goals right now that you've got personally? Um, which one could I share? I've got many, many, <laughs> many C-type goals. Um, listen, one of my C-type goals is that, that I'm helping people across the world to, tell, mm-hmm. to live their best life, best life yeah. to, to, for them to become the best version of themselves. And why is that C-type? Because a wee boy from um, Dundee that was grew up, grew up who you know didn't believe in himself, who was shy, um, who didn't think he would be working with particular individuals or particular organisations, global organisations. If he can do it, then anybody can do what they set their mind to. Mm-hmm. And that's where I love the work around mindset because you are your biggest asset asset but you are your biggest limitation as well mm-hmm. and once you get that sorted then you can take your life to limits way beyond any level of comprehension awesome and before we come on to some of the roundup questions then what you know you've, you've mentioned your 50 50 split you've managed to get now you know where your family and your your work and things so what does your spare time look like what sort of things do you get up to in your spare time i like a bit of gardening okay um i like um, we've got a new dog, so he's he's seven months old. So I like to take the dog for a walk. Dogs always seem to come up in this podcast. What yeah. Kind of, what kind of dog have you got? I've got a wee cocker spaniel, okay. little Archie. Yeah. So he's a bundle of joy. And again, that's kind of my time as well. You get with the dog and put the headphones on and listen to something. Or um, yeah, it's just good to get out, uh, walk in nature. Um, like I like spending time with the family. A lot of time with the family, whether it be going to swimming, ice skating, the cinema, going out for a bite to eat. Um, and I love coaching. You know, yeah. I, I would say that I do coaching in my, in, in my spare time as well. You know, it's something that's my release as well. Um, I'm helping individuals. I'm you know I'm helping myself. I'm helping the club that I've supported since a boy. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's having that balance. It's it's, it's it's really nice. Nice one, nice one. So let's go on to the the roundup questions that I like to ask every guest and you know we get a wide variety of answers to these so I want to know Jamie's top tip for improving performance and that can be performance in any realm business sport personally whatever uh, top tip for improving recovery again it can be physical mental whatever and top tip for improving sleep so first of all what's your top tip for improving performance Top tip for improving performance is you need to improve your self-image. The easiest way of thinking about that is would you speak to other people the way you speak to yourself? Okay. 
your self-image is what you think other people think about you. And the way I reflect on self-image is as follows. I am not who I think I am. I am not who you think I am. I am who I think that you think I am. Okay. And we make decisions in our life looking at the response of other people. So to improve performance, you need to be, you have need to have a, a good sense of self, um, worthy of the goals that you really want. Actually, whose goals is it you're trying to achieve? Is it yours or is it somebody else's? So to improve performance, you cannot outperform your self-image. That is your autopilot. That okay. is what, and if you want to read into this, Dr. Maxwell mocks it's your cybernetic mechanism in your mind. You will always come back to default position. So if you want to improve performance, change your self-image. Awesome. Thank you. Very good one. A new one that we've had in the podcast as well. Um, and what about the top tip for recovery then, improving recovery? You need to have a good sense of your own body, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. If you're tired, sleep. Going to bed early is not a sign of weakness. You will not miss out anything that's happening in the world by going to bed earlier. Have strict disciplines with your mobile devices. Mm -hmm. Put them out of your room the same time every evening, one hour before you go to sleep. Because our relationship to sleep is the biggest impact we are having on performance in any setting. One, two, three, maybe four days of limited sleep you can cope with. But from a mental perspective, and the sleep experts will tell you, the longer this goes on, it has a significant impact on decision making, on how you feel, on your self-image, on your beliefs. You fall into a psychotic, psychotic state. It just has a significant impact. So you need to, need to have a better relationship with these devices. You do not need them. Put them away. Okay. Well, the reason that sleep's left to last is because sleep often comes up in recovery. So, and you've probably already answered it with your devices, but your top tip for improving sleep. It's B. Have a structure to your day. The same structure. A lot of people say to me, I've got a really, I can't sleep. They can't sleep because they can't get up. And they're just caught in this cycle. And the sandwich filling of the day, you know, the quality of that sandwich filling is determined on your morning routine and your evening routine. A lot of people, when they focus on making significant changes, say, right, that's it. I'm going to start getting up a wee bit earlier and I'm going to go and exercise or I'm going to meditate or I'm going to do the yoga. I'm going to do something. But they forget one vital element and that's the evening routine. We know from a from a sports performance perspective, if you don't warm up effectively, you're more susceptible to substandard performance, risk of injury, etc. etc. If your evening routine is out of sync to your morning routine, that will have a significant impact. So you the both need to go hand in hand. And if you are disciplined and consistent with your bedtime routine and your morning routine, give it seven days. And you will start to see a changes. Yep, and yep, maybe between six to eight hours is what maybe most people sleep at night. But it needs to be consistent because our body, like, we like routine. And if, here's the thing, people say, I don't have time for this and I don't have time for that. There's 168 hours in a week. 
that will not change for anybody. It's mm-hmm. exactly the same. If you sleep on average eight hours a night, you have got 104 hours to fill in a week. What are you filling up with? And when you start to get really, really um, close to the relationship between your routines, your sleep will have an impact. Because if you get up early and you're exercising in the morning, after four or five days, your body will say, give me sleep. Yeah. And you'll start to go to sleep a lot easier. You've got relationship, your devices are out the room. Then things will start to happen. And uh, watch your productivity skyrocket. Yeah. Very good. Very good. And I think... Just thanks very much, Jamie, for all your your tips and guidance and advice today. I think you know listeners will get a lot of value from it. So if people want to find you or follow you, you know where's the best place for you on social media or websites, whatever. Where's the best place to to follow you? Yeah, um, I've got a page on um, Facebook, Jamie McBrerty Coaching. Um, there is a, a private community that it's just it's free, and people come along. I, I do lives, interviews. There's lots of content in there called Your Best Self. Um, this is also on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. So just under uh, Jamie McBrady, you'll find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, and my current website is uh, whymindset.co.uk. Um, and I'm going through a little bit of changes. I'm rebranding, but you can find me at the moment there as well. Perfect. Well, thanks very much for being the podcast, Jamie. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the HBHM podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just a reminder that you can get 15% off at checkout on hbhm.com by putting in the code HBHMPOD. Please share the latest podcast on socials at Instagram. We are at HBHM official and we look forward to speaking to you next time.